The Athletic. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, Jean-Felix from Atleti, will Chelsea have buyers regretting? Berlusconi's Monza raving escort party, Vale's farewell, something new from the French teen prodigy name generator, and why don't we do it in the road, say Italy's ultras. It's all coming up in this Totally Football Show. And here we are, listener, on Tuesday the 10th of January with the Euro boys. Alvaro Romeo, hello, Alvaro. Hello, guys. James Horncastle is also with us. Hello. Also, Julian Laurence. Hi, James. Hi, everyone. Hi. And Raphael Honigstein, who's not with us this week because he's off with Borussia Dortmund in Marbella in their, in their winter break training camp, but he left us this message. Hello, Jimbo. This is Raphael Honigstein reporting from Marbella, where Borussia Dortmund are doing their regular winter break training camp in lovely weather. It was raining for a little bit, but now the sun is shining. And for once, they have everyone on board, 28 players fully fit, which is something that's never happened in the last few years at Dortmund. They've had so many injuries. Now almost too many players for Edin Terzic to choose from. Fortunately, one of them is Sebastian Allaire, who has recovered from his testicular cancer surgery and treatment and is looking pretty good in training. The first game against Augsburg in 10 days' time might be a little bit too early for him, but he does look as if he will be on the pitch properly very soon, which is, of course, wonderful news for everyone concerned. There's also a little bit of a talking point about Marco Royce, the captain, who's out of contract and... Uh, reportedly a little bit unhappy that Dortmund have not really made a serious offer to keep him. So keep your eye on that one. Of course, Jude Bellingham and Coco transfer sagas are bubbling as well. So I'm sure I'm going to come away with some pretty good stuff when I write all of this up for The Athletic. From Abea, it's Raphael Honigstein. Raphael Honigstein. Well, I hope he's happy getting that to Jude Bellingham content, no doubt. Uh, for the athletic uh, readers, uh, how are the rest of you doing, Jules? How are you? Very good, thank you, my friend. Great. Very good. Loads of Excellent. things happening in French football, so Boy, it's always yeah. good. True. I mean, still no Bundesliga, but plenty going on in Italy and Spain as well. We'll be running up all the big stories, of course. And let's begin with a quick check on what's been your moment of the weekend, James. Well, it's hard, really, not to pick the tributes to uh, Gianluca Vialli because uh, they dominated um, the weekend. Some really nice uh, stories. Uh, for example, I think before the Juventus-Udinese game, there was the Udinese sporting director, Pier Paolo Marino, one of the most experienced guys in the league. And he spoke about how he used to be at Avellino back in the 80s when they were in Serie A. And their strategy was to basically sign the best players in the second division uh, to stay up. And he uh, wanted to sign this kid called Gianluca Vialli from Cremonese and ended up uh, stealing into Cremonese's uh, training camp before their City B playoff against Catania and uh, propositioned Vialli, who was then still a teenager. And Vialli kind of very gentleman-like said, uh, really appreciate the, the offer, uh, but I've already given my word to Samp. My word is my bond. So 
thanks but no thanks and uh, Marino was struck already then by uh, Viali the person as much as the player and yeah, we saw Gianluca Pesotto, his uh, Juventus teammates, uh, read a, a eulogy uh, at the Allianz Stadium before the game, talking about uh, Luca's sense of humour, his charisma, his tenacity. Um, and, and then at the, the Samp game, of course, you know, probably the club that he's most associated with, um, banners at the stadium talking about uh, the bomber, the legend. Uh, that was Viali, the players warming up in Viali number nine shirts. And also just some lovely, some lovely moments from Paolo Di Cagno. Gave a very tearful tribute uh, on his social media, talking about him as a warrior of the light, which is often a term that uh, Gabriele Marcotti, our friend, uses. Um, Gabriele, good friend of uh, Paolo's and Gianluca's. And also Ciro Ferrara. I don't know if you if you follow Ciro in Ciro on, on Instagram, he'd found a poem that Gianluca Vialli had written him on the Hyde Park Hotel uh, kind of note paper. It was a poem for his 28th birthday. And it's just a, just a lovely thing to, to read, the kind of care that, that Gianluca had shown to a friend of his. Um, so, yeah, it's hard not to really um, pick a moment about Gianluca Vialli this weekend. Well, indeed. What a man and what a player. Jules, what's your moment of the weekend? Well, I thought I was going to pick... Uh... Uh, Warren Zaire-Emery, who is the new prodigy coming out of Paris and the PSG Academy at 16. And mm. on Friday night, he had his, his first ever start, the youngest ever player to start again for PSG. But then on Sunday, uh, Noel Legret, the head of the French FA, just, just blew my moment of the weekend away massively by uh, coming like a two-footed tackle on Zinedine Zidane for no reasons on French radio and basically saying that he could not give a toss to say, to say mildly about what Zidane was going to do now if he wanted to take the Brazil job or whatever, really could not care less. And that's created an earthquake in French football like you like you would not believe because the pressure is now mounting on Noël Legrade to, uh, to leave his job as the f- head of the French FA only a few hours after extending Didier Deschamps' contract, obviously, as the, um, the head coach for the national team. But yeah, it's just been an incredible... 24, 48 hours in, in terms of Noel Legrade, Didier Deschamps, Zinedine Zidane, Kylian Mbappé, jumping in, of course. Uh, it's been incredible. All right. Uh, so many questions. I mean, well, for now, I'll just ask, is, is Noel Legrade, is he related to Emmy at all? Or, or, or is that just a... <laughs> <laughs> no? Okay. I don't Alex, so. Alexander Legrade? <laughs> <laughs> Catherine, perhaps. Catherine. <laughs> Alvaro, your moment of the weekend. Well, my moment of the weekend is um, about Real Madrid this time and the fact that one thing happened for the first time in uh, Real Madrid history and uh, since this uh, will be referred to uh, in the future years, it's worth to, to leave it here, to leave a note here that Real Madrid uh, didn't have any Spanish players in the lineup for the first time in uh, their history. I am aware that... Uh, they had injuries like Odriozola, like Carvajal. I am aware that Asensio or Lucas Vázquez were on the bench. But, uh, you know, it was pretty remarkable, I would say. Uh, I'm not saying that their academy is not good. No, no, not at all. But uh, maybe those who had a go at Luis Enrique uh, for not al- always capping uh, Real Madrid players, now they understand why this mm. phenomenon was happening. All right. So since this is the first time that it happened in history, well, it's worth remarking that Real Madrid didn't play for uh, with the Spanish player in the lineup for the first time. 
All right. How, how did the match work out for them with all their fancy foreign stars in, Alvaro? Tienen go well, tienen go well, Jimbo. Dice Soto Grado, atento. Chuta Gerard Moreno, pues por allí te la tiro. Gol, 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 gol. Gol de Gerard Moreno. Villarreal beat them 2-1, and uh, I would say that it was a very good performance by Villarreal, and not the greatest performance by a few Real Madrid players. I will break that down later. Won't have to wait too long for that breakdown. Quick mention for AEK Athens, who beat Panathinaikos 1-0, the previously unbeaten leaders in the uh, Greek top division. And that means that not only are AEK Athens only four points off Panathinaikos, but now there is only one undefeated team left across Europe's top 20 leagues. I say top 20, I'm not sure how many other ones there are, but across those 20 leagues, there's only one undefeated team left. Do you know who it is? I do. Go on, Jules. But I'm, did the other one wants to uh, try to find out? Or? No. Enjoy the moment. Go for okay. it. Red Star Belgrade. Boom. All right. Because, yeah. of course, uh, Napoli, since our last show, another of the teams that hadn't been defeated, did come a cropper last Wednesday. We'll hear about that later on. But first of all, we're heading to La Liga. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. La Liga. This weekend, Barcelona beat Atletico Madrid to take a three-point lead at the top because, as we've heard, Real Madrid lost at Villarreal. And this week, everyone's off in Saudi. Boo for the Super Cup. Also, Ja Felix is off to Chelsea. Where do you want to start, Alvaro Romeo? Well, we're going to start by Joe Felix uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, uh, it's been a while. We've been speaking about him a lot and it looks like um, he's going he's gonna to leave now. Um, I think that uh, this is not a good business for Atletico de Madrid if they don't have a replacement for Joe Felix because right now they've got a rather depleted squad uh, and I think that they will have only three forwards in the lineup if Joe Felix, Felix leaves uh, because Mateo Scuña left to Wolverhampton and uh, they will have Correa who is not exactly a good scorer, uh, Antoine Griezmann, who is becoming more of a creative midfielder, and Alvaro Morata. So I don't think that, that is enough to keep on going uh, in this league and in the Spanish Cup if Atletico wants to win it. But anyway, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, maybe from the financial aspect it's good because uh, Chelsea apparently will um, will pay uh, Joe Felix wages until the end of the season, which are not very high, um, really, uh, which is something quite remarkable because he, his price tag was 120 million, but his salary is not that high anyway uh, for the price tag he had. And uh, the business is uh, not good for Atletico. As I said, for Chelsea, in my opinion, neither, because maybe this is not the profile of player they need. Um, they've got many fast players uh, who are kind of creative, who can play in that position, so I don't get it from... Chelsea perspective either. Also, Joe Felix is not the kind of guy who has an immediate impact um, regardless of the context he's thrown at. I think that uh, Joe Felix needs a favorable context to compete and I don't think that Chelsea will create those conditions for Joe Felix right now as we have seen with uh, Pulisic, uh, with Kai Havertz and many more strikers who are playing there. So I don't think that this is the best possible business for Chelsea, personally. Mm. Did anyone see the wisdom in this for Graham Potter's side? Only if, only if there's more attacking players coming in, because otherwise I agree with everything Alvaro just said. On his own, he's not, he's not going to resolve all the attacking issues, and they've got a lot. But if you 
if you play him with the right players around him, which they don't have right now, he needs runners, he needs a lot of things that they don't have in mm. their squads. He's going to ask for the ball at his feet like Ziyech does and Mount does and Pulisic does and Havertz does. So it's hard to understand unless they already have in the pipeline somewhere other strikers or forwards that are going to come and just fill the gaps in this squad to make to make sure that they get the best out of Joao Felix. Otherwise, it's going to be like what we've seen at Atletico in the sense that he's going to have one good game and then struggle and struggle because, again, around him, there's not the right player so far. Mm. But the interim sporting director's job is now done uh, with this mic drop. This is it. A case study in how not to help your manager uh, is finally finished. So congratulations, Todd Bowley. You've done a sterling job. That's well, yeah, brilliant. No, oh, I don't know. Maybe João Felix. Can he play right wing back? Is that is that something he's ever done before? We Impossible. In goal, left sided centre back. I mean, yeah. Yeah. all of the I'm targets right back, they've tried though. to fill. Um. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, okay. So a note of caution then for any optimistic Chelsea fans. It's going to be interesting though. What a talent! He, oh yeah, um, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing him mm. uh, with the shackles off. Um, that you know have been uh, used to bind him by Diego Simeone because he's an extraordinary talent. I mean, even with Portugal, when he plays, he plays really well for the most part. So um, it should be um, it should be fun. Um, mm. But yeah, I just think Chelsea needed other things uh, like a, you know an actual striker as mm. well. That would have been good, particularly with uh, Lukaku, who we might get onto at uh, at some point in this uh, in this podcast whether yes he will still be at inter uh next season we'll have to see some yeah. backlash after his performance at the weekend but we'll get to that we, we certainly will we certainly will but alvaro tell us about uh, atletico madrid's performance this weekend against uh, barcelona one nil defeat yeah i think that it wasn't a, a good quality game i really i really think that it wasn't uh, maybe this is a little bit of la liga nostalgia from me but i've got the feeling that uh, four or five years this game could have ended with a 3-2 scoreline 3 all because uh, atletico and barcelona tend to have or used to have many good strikers suarez messi antoine griezmann for atletico diego costa in the past now they don't have players like this and atletico created loads of chances some of them very clear some others not so clear but still, Barcelona didn't concede the goal. And uh, then Barcelona also had plenty of open play situations in the second half just to kill it, to finish up, to wrap up the game. And they couldn't make it either. Uh, of course, Robert Lewandowski wasn't playing. And this is a big miss for Barcelona because he has scored so many goals and he's the top scorer of La Liga. But you get the feeling that you understand why these two clubs are out of the Champions League right now with all due respect. And uh, also, I believe that, you know, Barcelona's defense... Um, Numbers-wise, uh, has been incredible. I mean, they have um, considered only six goals and uh, three of them, in fact, in one game against Real Madrid. So basically, they have considered only in four games in La Liga out of 16. That's extraordinary. That's fantastic. But I don't think that that speaks so much about the defensive competence of Barcelona uh, because you just have to compare the numbers of Barcelona in La Liga and in the Champions League. In Spain, the only time they play the top side of Europe, like Real Madrid, they consider three. In the Champions League, Barcelona considered 12 in the group stage. So, if anything, Barcelona's defensive numbers, they are telling us something about La Liga's level right now and about the rest of the teams. This is a particular theory that I've got, but I think that is not too far from reality, really, because 12 teams in La Liga have scored less than 20 goals. 
after 16 games. That's not a lot. La Liga is the lowest scoring league in the big five leagues as well. And most of the sides in La Liga don't have a big scoring threat. Uh, menacing individuals. You just have to look at the scoring charts of La Liga to, to check that out and to to confirm that. So, as a consequence of that, I think La Liga 2023 uh, is uh, a two-horse race, but a two-horse race with debilitated horses. Maybe not Real Madrid, but definitely Barcelona, because Barcelona is very inconsistent, and yet they are at the top of the table right now. That said, if Cunde and Araujo are fit for the remainder of the season, Barcelona has very uh, two very competent defenders in there. Kunde is not a right back, and yet he is always performing in there in the right back position. And then Araujo is a titan. He's an absolute titan. And the other day against Atletico de Madrid, he managed to solve so many issues himself. So, you know, Barcelona is the leader of the Liga. They got 14 points more than Atletico de Madrid, and yet I'm not very convinced about them. I think that their defense, despite having conceded six goals, is not too good. Okay. Tell us then about Villarreal, who are just outside the top four, level on points now with Atletico Madrid after that 2-1 victory over Real Madrid. What a run of results that Kike Setien is putting together now. Yeah, and uh, don't forget, Jimbo, that uh, after Villarreal lost against Mallorca, I think it was the fourth game of Kike Setien, mm. uh, they wanted him out. Some of the fans, they, they were booing him and they, they didn't want him there. But since then, uh, Villarreal has corrected the situation. They have won six games in a row, three of them in La Liga. And I would say that quite symbolic wins, some of them. One against Valencia in a regional derby. Another one uh, against Real Madrid this time. And the other one against Espanyol away, which uh, helped correcting the trajectory. This Villarreal team in my opinion, was the favorite to finish in the top four this season. Um, I really thought so. When Unai Emery started the season, after Villarreal did such a good Champions League last year, with Gerard Moreno, um, allegedly fit, he wasn't, but he's now. Uh, I, I was thinking that, and I still think that Villarreal is going to fight for European sports after having started the league very badly. They deserve to win against Real Madrid, I will say. I think that uh, there were a couple of controversial decisions in the second and the, um, and the third goal, but anyway, I'm going to get into referring uh, and all that because I think that that is a tedious uh, thing. But anyway, Villarreal... Played well, Gerard Moreno link up very well with Dan Yuma, with Jeremy Pino especially. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that the sky is the limit of, for Villarreal, of course not, but uh, they are back and uh, they beat Real Madrid. And Real Madrid was a little bit concerning, in my opinion, because the bad run that they were having uh, doesn't stretch to um, Boxing Day and afterwards. It comes from early November and they haven't corrected their situation. Uh, I think that the team doesn't leave clean sheets. I think that uh, Karim Benzema is scoring, but he's still not there. And I think that uh, Real Madrid has uh, a little bit of a problem on the left back. Uh, Ferland Mendy gave away uh, one ball in uh, one of the Villarreal goal. And, uh, you know, Real Madrid has had over the last 20, 25 years, only two left-backs, Roberto Carlos and then Marcelo. And they had long trajectories at Real Madrid and they were very tasty with the ball and they were very skillful as well. And Mendy doesn't offer that. He's very good defensively. I'm not saying no to that. Um, but at the same time, he has to improve uh, his ability with the ball because at Real Madrid, you have to offer sometimes something else. Otherwise, David Alaba, I guess that he will end up getting the left-back position if uh, Mendy uh, keeps on making mistakes like those. Uh, Alvaro, this week... Uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Real Betis and Valencia are all off competing in this four-team semi-final and final of the of the Spanish Super Cup in Saudi Arabia. Has there been much reaction, much uh, unhappiness about the decision to hold this tournament there? 
There was, there was um, when all this started in 2020, but you know, you know how it goes. Uh, you know that thing they say about uh, boiling a frog, that uh, they, the frogs don't even know that they have been boiled until they die. So this has been very gradual as well at the, at the beginning. Uh, I know, Jules, I know it sounds crazy what I said, but it's true. So at the beginning, I think that there was a little bit of, okay, what is this? Why? Is this cup being played in Saudi Arabia with four mm. clubs? Uh, isn't this a format just to favor Real Madrid and Barcelona to be always there? But now, gradually, we have gotten used to it, and there is no much complaint about this. So, yeah, it will be played there, uh, Real Madrid against Valencia, in one of the semifinals, and the other one, Betis and Barcelona. That one is so more open, in my opinion, with Betis having a good season. So, let's see. Uh, I think that um, this is a very important competition, especially for Barcelona, because uh, they haven't won a title for a while now, since 2021, the Spanish Cup, and, uh, you know, a, bit, a little bit less important for Real Madrid. And, of course, if Valencia and Betis win it, uh, it's going to be super uh, good for their project as well. Valencia, let's don't forget that they are... In in the middle of the table right now, and any title for them will be very welcome too. Mm. Even one one in that country, I see. Very good. Well, let's leave La Liga there and talk next, if we may, quickly about former Real Madrid player Gareth Bale, who announced his retirement this Monday. We've got some special memories, I'm sure. Let's hear them next. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by LiveScore Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScoreBet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Liverpool fans, we've got some news. The Athletic's dedicated Liverpool podcast has been given a lick of paint and it's coming back bigger and better than ever in 2023. It's still twice a week and it's still your go-to place for transfer news, analysis and opinion from the Athletic's esteemed football writers. But the first big change is me, Tony Evans, as your host. I'm the former football editor of the Times of London and I've been on the Mersey beat for years. You'll never walk alone as part of Anfield folklore and we want a new name that truly resonates with Liverpool, the fans, the history, the essence of the club. So that's where we went for walk-on. Join us twice a week through the winds and the rain as Jürgen Klopp's Reds aim to save their season and maybe even sign a bleeding midfielder in January. Simply search for walk-on on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Come on, have a listen. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Well, it's a brilliant run from Bale. He's so unstoppable in these circumstances. Oh, that is a fantastic goal. That is a memorable moment. Magnificent goal by Bale. All right, everybody, Gareth Bale, let's salute the Welshman with his top knot and his top notch goals. What's your favourite? Alvaro, you go first. Oh, my God. Uh, there are so many, but I think that uh, I have watched endlessly his games mm. against Inter Milan when he was a Spurs player. Oh. Yeah, because that, that was incredible. I mean, the exuberance of those runs were unbelievable, And uh, but Gareth Bale was much more than a winger. And um, I think that he proved as well that the scoring is not only instinctive, but it's also something that you learn, as we have seen with Gareth Bale, with Mohamed mm. Salah, players that at the beginning of their career, they weren't scoring many goals, but then they became uh, really good uh, forwards as well. So, yeah, I think that the games against Inter are still, for me, the most iconic, not forgetting that he scored the, probably the, one of the best ever goals in the in a Champions League final. Right, against Liverpool, you're going to say, yeah. But that Spurs game, back at the beginning of his career, it kind of launched his career and ended somebody else's. Of course, James Horncast, what would be your favourite uh, Gareth Bell moment? Well, Alvaro, I'm going to need you to correct me if I'm wrong here, but was it the Copa del Rey final? Was it the, the one yep, where... 2014. Uh, the so sh- he runs the, off the, the pitch, has a shower, comes back on. Sobre la marca de Messi y alarga para Gareth Bale, que la pone larga, lo presiona Barbatra, lo deja por el camino, gran jugada de Bale, está el segundo, le pegó... I think that goal showcased the athleticism uh, of Bale and, uh, you know, it it might not be as acrobatic by any means as the bicycle kick that he scored in that Champions League final, but um, I think that was close to peak Bale, Um, certainly the one that that, uh, Madrid thought was going to be the guy who was going to replace Cristiano Ronaldo, not just in the short term, but in the long term. Mm. Jules. I like everything the boys said. I like the goal that he scored with Spurs at Stoke, where it was almost like a Bruce Lee kind of kung fu. I mean, the the way he hit that ball was incredible. But I'll probably pick one that he scored for Wales because I think as mm. as great as his club career, of course, has been, especially with Real Madrid. For me, he's taking that small country, which had a good generation, and Aaron Ramsey was also a big part of of their achievement. But to take to take them to the semi-final of the Euros, to the World Cup, I mean, being so proud to represent his country, I think for me was the maybe the the the, the best achievement in his whole career, even more than the five Champions League that he won with Real Madrid. So yeah, I would probably go for maybe the free kick that qualified them for the for the World Cup. I mean, you know, there, there's been some great moments with Wales over the 111 caps I think that he had. So probably pick one of those. Guys, have you realized that we have mentioned goals? scored in tournaments and not in leagues I think that that also explains Gareth Bale very well I Mm. think he was a very good player to win tournaments but then in the league he wasn't always available and that is something that Real Madrid fans didn't like much especially at the end of his stint for Real Madrid he's been a player who has had the punctuality to be 
important in the knockout tournaments or in finals, which is really great, really great. But then if you see his league record and you compare it to some other great players of his generation, his league record in terms of goals, numbers, availability hasn't been that good. So I think that there are bright sides and also some other dark sides in Gareth Bale's career and everything is part of the package. Mm. I was going to ask actually, Alvaro, whether his announcement has led to any kind of reappraisal from the Spanish press or even real supporters that actually, yeah, given what he what he won, what he did, what he won for them, they were mm. perhaps a little bit unfair on him? The critics were unfair on him, that's for sure. That's for sure. I don't think that uh, there has been like a big tribute uh, for Gareth Bale in the press um, today, uh, as we speak on Tuesday, uh, because many consider that when Gareth Bale left Real Madrid, that was basically his retirement, even though it wasn't, because then he played the World Cup. So, you know, and I MLS. think... And the MLS. And the MLS, yeah. of course. Uh, so I think that... Uh, won, won the MLS. You know, though, though those tributes, those tributes haven't uh, arrived yet. He is, if you go to Real Madrid website, in the legend section of Real Madrid website so in that uh, respect the club is um, is keeping him among the the greatest of Real Madrid and uh, there is no doubt about his winning capacity Real Madrid don't have that doubt but his unavailability and the fact that he was playing mm. with Wales some games after not being available for Real Madrid didn't sit well with Real Madrid fans all that said mm. uh, some of the things that I heard in the press were absolutely unacceptable Unacceptable, and the, the way they were treating him wasn't nice at all. Probably from the most uh, vociferous part of Spanish media outlets as well, but still, uh, that's the one that reverberates and uh, gets exported to England. Indeed, indeed. All right, well, anyway, magnificent career. Sad to see him hanging up his shooting boots, as you would put it, Jules. Next up, let's hear from James Horncastle on a pretty wild weekend in City All right, since our last show, City has got underway. Inter beat Napoli. Napoli then bounced back with a 2-0 win at Samp. Juventus went second with their eighth straight victory, haven't conceded a single goal in that run. Milan were one of three teams this weekend who went 2-0 up and then ended up drawing. And hundreds of Napoli and Roma fans parked their cars and minivans in the middle of the motorway and set to one another with sticks and poles and... The old knife or two as well. Where do you want to start, James Horncastle? Is it Milan Roma Sunday night? Gianni Abram, il pareggio della Roma, esattamente al minuto 93, nel corso del secondo tempo. Gianni Abram. The last week in Serie A has been about uh, the death of the 2 0 lead, um, mm. how dangerous it is, pericolosissimo, uh, the 2 0 lead, because we saw Lazio throw one away uh, against Empoli. Um, we saw uh, Spezia do oh, yeah. the same against yeah. Atalanta. If you want to go for a deep cut in Serie A, James, nice. it's not just about the 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 Setis, the Seven Sisters. Um, but yes, I mean, probably no more dramatic than than what happened to to Milan on on Sunday night on uh, Golazzo Live on BT Sport mm. um, because uh, Roma had done absolutely nothing, nothing uh, for for eighty minutes. Um, didn't look like they were going to do anything, um, but they got two set plays and they scored off both of them. Uh, and uh, Salvatore Forti, the assistant manager at uh, at Roma, 
His record is something like three wins and a draw when he's been mm. standing in for Jose Mourinho. I think he was patrolling the sidelines when Roma beat Inter at San Siro uh, earlier in the season as well. Mm. So uh, all of a sudden, there is this feeling that Salvatore Foti might be the next big thing in, Good in Italian coaching. Um, and as, as Mourinho's silence continues mm. amid all these links to the Brazil job, which... Uh, you know, he's been contacted, he's turned them down. Ronaldo, the original, called him, said, come on, Jose, we want you to be the first foreign manager at Brazil. And, uh, you know, I mean, if he were to take those jobs, which he isn't, um, you know, I mean, Roma would be in great hands with Salvatore Foti. So, well, I have yeah. to say that Sunday's performance in which Milan took the lead and Roma then essentially stood around and sat back and just watched Milan pass the ball around for, what, 70 minutes or so. wasn't a great advert for Fotti's inspirational presence on, on the sideline. But as you well. say, as you say at the end, in fact, for most of the game, the most interesting thing about it was the incredible and really groundbreaking set of stats that the Italian league were able to put up. <laughs> um, you highlighted these on your social media, but I think they're worth worth revisiting. So first of all, they had a head-to-head between Kalulu and Ibanez. Uh, Jules, um, Kalulu and Ibanez, their pressures were 9 and 13. Total jumps, though, Ibanez completely <laughs> destroying Kalulu with 157 <laughs> against 30. And if you're wondering about how Leao and Dybala stack up when it comes to average absolute width, I can tell you that 24.89 metres is Liao's figure, whilst Dybala was trailing with 19.35. <laughs> he was better on average apex height, though, which is probably what swung it, I think. An average apex height of 1.66. These are genuinely the stats that City have put up at half-time. Um, they're, they're years ahead of the rest of the game. Years. Anyway, sorry to, sorry to do that. Average apex height, anyway... At the end, two set pieces. After Milan went 2-0 up, Roma suddenly woke up, started playing with a bit more aggression, won a couple of won a corner and then a free kick and scored off both of them and and boom. Now yeah. as you mentioned, a lot of clubs, and this saw Milan dropping back, Napoli now seven points clear of them. Juventus are in second place on goal difference, and that's who Napoli are going to be facing this Friday. Uh, that's going to be quite a game, James. Yeah, it should be. Uh, Luciano Spalletti, the Napoli coach, saying uh, Juventus are one of the best teams in the league uh, for the manager that they've got because he takes teams on these kind of runs. He's been there. He's done it before. He's won leagues. Um, It's Juventus. So it's a club with a winning tradition. Um, So even about all those things that you've read and you've heard about on this podcast about, yeah, their board resigning and this big investigation into their financial financial affairs. Don't listen to any of that because it's Juventus. So they'll probably win the league. Um, So Spalletti really kind of trying to move some of the expectation and pressure away from his own team going into into that game. Um, Yeah, Napoli did play well against Samp at the weekend. Okay, it's a Samp side that is bottom of the table, but it was a mature performance because of the atmosphere and the context in which they played that game in. A lot of tributes to Viali at Samp because they were playing at Marassi. And uh, Samp were very tenacious and kind of held on in there for, for, for a long time but we're playing with 10 men for, for the best part of uh, an hour um, but you know I think the thing with, with, with this Juventus side is that their football is still nothing to write home about it's nothing to celebrate get excited by uh, 
Um, and, and yet they are very solid. Uh, they give away very few chances. Uh, we've talked about how they've only conceded seven goals uh, all season. If you look at advanced metrics, they should have conceded 15. How many, uh, how many jumps have they had? <laughs> They're probably the jumpiest team um, <laughs> in, in Serie A. Um, One but, thing you were but, getting excited about, and you, sorry, you were probably about to say this, was, was that Keza was back at the weekend and, and, and set up their winning goal against Udinese. And I believe for Friday, he could be matched on the other flank by Di Maria, which would be tasty. Yeah, and also Juventus are expecting to have Pogba and Vlajevic training uh, with the team again this week. Um, I still really don't know what to expect from Pogba uh, for, the, for the rest of the season because he always seems to be close to coming back and then something happens or he's unable or he basically goes and stands on a ski slope and does some dancing whilst he's you know, basically told Juventus that he felt it was better not to have an operation on his knee when he clearly did an operation on his knee. Um, but Juventus are, are finding ways to, to win. And I actually think having spent most of the season without some of their star players has helped Allegri forge a mentality and a spirit among um, some of the Gregari, you know, the kind of the, the work, the workmen on the, on the, on the team um, that has served them in good stead. And, but, you know, I, I would on the, on, in terms of quality, in terms of the standards that they've set this season, I would still be tempted to go with Napoli in this game. Obviously, they've just hit such higher heights of performance than Juventus. And yet we've said that before Juventus played Lazio. We've said that before Juventus played Inter. And Juventus won both of those games. So it's kind of quite hard to know what to expect on Friday night. Mm, indeed. Well, last Wednesday, it was Inter who beat Napoli. 1-0 on the uh, return from the uh, the long World Cup break. Inter uh, followed that one up by going away to Monza and doing another of these 2-0 up to 2-2 draw uh, Yeah, this, this was great because, I mean, you say affairs because at the Christmas party uh, for Monza, Silvio Berlusconi, <laughs> Monza's owner, had promised... Um, his players, um, how shall we put this, James? A, a well, pleasure he, bus? Um, yeah, essentially, a, I mean, to drive a bus of sex workers up if uh, the team were able to get results against big teams. It caused, even in you know the sometimes less sophisticated <laughs> circles of City A, it caused an, a, a, an uproar, Berlusconi's statement. It did, yeah. He had to put out another statement um, in which he said he meant nothing uh, bad by it, um, you know. The, the woke media um, had, uh, had essentially got carried away with this. Um, but whatever motivation Berlusconi and, and Galliani had planned for this game, mm. it clearly worked um, because uh, you know Monza's centre back Luca Caldirola, who used to be in Inter's academy, was captain of their Primavera, their under-19s, and I think he played briefly in the Champions League under Rafa Benitez, probably in that game against Spurs in which Gareth Bale scored a hat-trick. Um, he, he scored the equalising header, and it, um, it provoked the reaction from Galliani, you know, Galliani who has been in Italian football for more than a quarter of a century, it was uh, the, the kind of brains behind uh, the assembly of those great Milan teams and is famous for his uh, Edvard Munch-style screams um, from the, the stands when goals go in. He, he, he gave arguably his best one ever um, for, 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 for that Caldirolico because 
Galliani grew up in Monza. He's a Monza fan. His mother used to take him to Monza games when him and Berlusconi took over Monza as part of Berlusconi's latest retirement project. The, the biggest derby that they'd ever played in was against Renate. Um, it wasn't against Inter or Milan. So to, to get a point against Inter was, uh, was the fulfillment of a lifetime kind of ambition and, and dream of, of, of Galliani's, which was on a par with winning five Champions Leagues with, uh, with Milan. Magnificent, <laughs> magnificent. Oh, where are Monza right now? Have you got the table in front of you? Monza, I think, I mean, been playing really well under Raffaele Palladino. Um, remember Palladino's first game, he, he got a win against Juventus, and that was before Berlusconi had promised the, uh, the, the, the pleasure bus. Um, so, mm. Monza currently 15th, fully nine points above Verona and the bottom three. Mm. And they'll probably nice. do some business in, in, in January because that's what Galliani does. So, um, But yeah, Palladino's done a very good job since taking over from Stroppa. But mm, there you have excellent, it. excellent. Oh, uh, one last thing for now, James. Uh, tell us about the motorway set to then between Napoli and Roma fans who weren't facing each other, those two clubs, this weekend. No, but um, Roma fans were going to Milan to watch the team at San Siro. Uh, Napoli fans were going to Genova. And uh, they crossed um, at this um, kind of auto grill motorway stop um, on the A1 in, uh, in Italy. Uh, tragically, the same place where Gabriele Sandri, a, a Lazio fan, uh, lost his life um, when he was shot by a policeman who, um, who thought there was some similar kind of hooligan scenes going on. And, and so, yeah, they don't like each other. Uh, Roma and Napoli Ultras um, goes all the way back to Salvatore Bagni uh, I think in the 80s one of the Napoli players uh, sort of turning on, um, on, on on Roma because before that the Derby del Sole they were kind of twinned Roma and, 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 and Napoli Ultras they got on really well um, and pretty much things have escalated I would say since the Coppa Italia final maybe a decade ago between Napoli and Fiorentina, in which a Napoli fan uh, was shot and killed on his way to the Stadio Olimpico, and the person who was accused of that of that murder was uh, was a former Roma ultra um, who'd been banned um, from from going to games. Um, so yeah, not a great start to 2023 for Serie A, I must say. Uh, as much as you know, people can say, "Oh yeah, we've got a really close title race." Napoli might be what the the third different team, fourth different I mean, team to win the league in four clear. years. Yeah, but I, well, so there's that. So there's you're saying the league's not competitive. So actually, no, I'm, I'm add, saying we'll, we'll add that into the It's a really close title race. Uh, I mean, no, it but, might be but, if Juve win this Friday. Yeah, but 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 there's there's a sense that the teams are there are another three teams in it along mm. with Napoli, but we've had you know racism at Lecce um, uh, because of Lazio ultras um, doing monkey chants at Samuel in Umtiti and Banda. Uh, the Curva Nord closed. The Lazio Ultras putting out a statement saying, ah, this is political correctness gone mad. Um, and now we've got Ultras fighting on motorways, uh, which is causing 15-kilometer tailbacks. Um, so it's, yeah, it's not great in Serie A as much as, you know, the league would like to make you think that's great with all their wonderful number-wang stats. Um, it's, 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 not, it's not a great time uh, in it Italy and Italian football. So there That you said, tune in on Friday when... Napoli host Juventus and then again on Sunday when James and I will be bringing you all the average apex width 
stat delights you can handle in Roma Fiorentina, which is another quite highly charged uh, fixture. But hey, we'll talk more about that next week after they've played it, because next up, Jules, France. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Jules, let's begin with the Didier Deschamps business. He's extended his contract. How do you feel? Yeah, uh, that was coming. We knew it. What we were not sure about was the the length of the new deal, uh, 2024, 2026. They went for 2026. What... I think it's more disturbing here is that the decision was not taken by the exec committee of the federation, but just simply by the head of the French FN, Noël Legrette, that we mentioned earlier, and Deschamps himself together in Legrette's house in Brittany, in Guingamp. And this is not how this is not how football works. This is not what you do. This is Guingamp not, style. Yeah, exactly. This is this is a democratic way of choosing your head coach. It should be, and normally it is. But they did it very differently. And, and Le Great in that incredible interview that he gave on Sunday that we mentioned on Zidane and all of that, also mentioned that in that meeting with Deschamps, they discussed the successor of Noël Le Great and who they were going to pick. Again, this is not how it works. This is not a democratic way of choosing the, or voting or electing your uh, president of, the, of your federation, of your football federation. So it's just crazy time for Deschamps. I think he deserves a bit more time, even if there's people in France who feel that it's too long already. And uh, you can't... Julian Lawrence. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I, I, the argument that says that the winner has the right to stay a bit longer, I can understand that completely. He had the results. He wants to stay. Yeah, I would have liked to see a change, but, but you can understand why he stays and why people are happy for him to stay. And the players certainly are, for most of them. But, but it's a long time. Why did Nola Great say in this interview... Even if Zidane had rung him up, he wouldn't even pick up the phone. He doesn't care about Zidane. Why, why would he say that in an interview? 
I think it's because now that he's renewed Deschamps' contract, he didn't want to be seen as too friendly with Zidane in a way because at the Ballon d'Or uh, only a few weeks ago, they were always together. Uh, Zidane and Le Graet. Le Graet was introducing Zidane to the new sports minister, for example, and Le Graet was talking to Zidane for ages. So, and we know that we know that Zidane is the next man to come if he wants to and if he's still available whenever Deschamps is not the national team head coach anymore. So, but for him to go or the other extreme like that publicly on record, almost to say like, you know. Almost if like, oh, Deschamps would not want me to talk nicely about Zidane, so I need to go two-footed right. tackle here and saying, I don't care about him. Almost like, who is that guy? You know, mm. and, and obviously this is not, again, the right, I don't think Deschamps would have been mad if Le Graet said, well, you know, we decided, to, I decided to renew Deschamps and then once Didier steps down, then we will see who's available and if Zidane is available, then of course he would be right. a contender. But he did it the complete wrong way. He's stupid. He's someone who does controversy a lot. He's someone who says there's no racism in football. Someone who um, has a lot of uh, issues right now, you know, what he does, some of the messages that he's been sending to uh, female employees, the way he talks to people. He's 81 years old and he's still in charge technically for another two years. So, wow. uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's bad or 18 months. Well, we, we don't know if Legrette would have picked up the phone to Roberta Martinez, but that ship has sailed because yeah. the uh, highly touted uh, former Belgian boss in the meantime confirmed that he's taking over at Portugal. You know, just while we're on the subject of international managers and that. Yeah. All right. Should Portuguese fans be excited? Anybody? Avaro? Mm. Not particularly, <laughs> but the thing is, thing is Jimbo, that um, in international football, you don't get the best coaches anymore. I mean, it's very unusual what happened with Spain and Luis Enrique or what. Uh, you know, how many international football uh, coaches have won the Champions League like you know, Luis Enrique or the song was in the final, talking about the guy. It's very difficult to get the best coaches. But in Portugal, I think the controversy is why do they go for, for a Spanish coach or for a non-Portuguese coach, to be more precise? And Because there are many uh, good ones. But the truth is that maybe Ruben Amorim, who did a great job at Sporting Lisbon and still is doing a good job, or, you know, many more that may come to your mind, uh, like Sergio Conceição, they are not up for it right now as well uh, because they want to focus on club football. So I don't think it's so easy but uh, it's funny how it goes with Roberto Martinez because every time that uh, something is reported about uh, about him about Roberto Martinez in Spain they refer automatically to his title with Wigan but they don't refer for example about his relegation with Wigan so I think that in Spain the story with Roberto Martinez hasn't been in Spain very well all that said uh, you know in Belgium I think that he did a good job in the first couple of years and then uh, you know after that you know that the Belgian generation didn't uh, didn't give uh, much more to the country fair enough Jules, is the Coupe de France this week. Yeah. Last 32. And we've got another French teenage prodigy that we need to know about, courtesy of your French teenage prodigy name generator, Warren <laughs> yeah. Zaire Emery. That's He's right. Paris-born and bred, sort of, a bit. Of, no. What do you mean, sort of? Massively. He's from Ile-de-France. Is he actually from Paris? I mean, he was, he was born in Montreuil, which is like literally... Uh, so like Saint-Denis. Just... No, yeah, just outside of. I mean, Montreuil touches Paris, so it's. Does it? It's okay. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. So you can walk. No, he's very much a product of the PhD Academy. Of, he's very much a Paris born and bred boy. One of my boys, of course, and at sixteen and nine months, 
uh, became, as we said earlier, the, the youngest ever player to start again for PSG. So well done to him. He's an incredible talent, the best of his generation. Yeah, I, I think a generational talent Wait, really. Um, what's he like? Is he like somebody? What position does he play? He's a midfielder that. I mean, I don't want to put like, too much pressure Is on him or anything like that. No, 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 because he's more like a Jude <laughs> Bellingham type of, like of uh, profile. Like Jude Bellingham, he's, oh, he's, yeah? not, a, he's not a playmaker. He's not a number 10. He's more of, a, of an eight or of a six. He's two-footed. Two he's already very mature for his age. He's strong uh, physically. He's quick. He's got really everything. And if he doesn't mess it up, all that talent, I mean, he's really aiming for the top. He's a really wonderful talent. I think I can't believe this has only dawned on me after working with Jules for like 15 years or whatever. But it's, um, I think given how many talented footballers France produces on what feels like a daily basis, mm. we should just have a segment called like the Julien Laurent's Paris Born and Bred Academy <laughs> in which Jules tells us about his latest academy product yeah. every week. Yeah. Well, um, so last week, what was the name of the fellow last week at Monaco? Uh, ben Seguier, he's from the South. I don't care. So no, but he's still pretty good, <laughs> yeah. though, Jules. He's very good. Yeah. And he's 17, he's slightly older. He's very good. He Did he play this weekend as Monaco got knocked out of the Coupe de France by League Two strugglers Rodez? No, I mean, Philippe Clement made, uh, I think, 10 changes, maybe. I think only Disassi uh, kept his place. I don't know if Ben Seguier, I'm going to check if Ben Seguier came on. Mm. I, don't, I don't think he did. Uh, it was a, it was a, I mean, talking earlier about the 2 0 up. Yeah. I went to two two. It was it was you know one of those, and it was it was terrible for for Monaco. It's a league 2 team, so a championship team. It's not it's right. not as bad as Clermont, for example, who were knocked out by a six division team or sixth or others, division yeah, team or Nice, you know, by a third division team. But it was still like it still didn't look good to be fair. Yeah, Clermont knocked out by Strasbourg Königshofen. Samuel Kekombus pour l'exploit. Samuel Kekombus pour la qualification. C'est fait. Qualification historique du petit poussé. From the sixth division, it's only the sixth club in French club history uh, that managed to, to to progress and 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 win there. I mean, it's not their first run, but the first right. run of the professional teams, if you want. Incredible. And the way they the way they played, they played they played so well. We've said before that one of the the reasons why. We see all those upset in 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 the French Cup year after year is because because the academies uh, we can repeat it quickly because the academies are so good mm. and they release a lot of players because not all of them can make it then to the first team of those Ligue 1 the, or Ligue 2 clubs. The, the Julien Laurent's Paris Born Bred Academy. For example, yeah. then yeah, they right. obviously benefit the lower league teams, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh division, because you end up with really good players who were just very good but just not good enough to make it yeah. to the first team in Ligue 1 or Ligue 2. I think we know an example, don't we, Jules? <laughs> I wish. I wish. <laughs> yeah. PSG, they did win their game. Uh, they were taking on uh, Chateauroux. Yeah, Chateauroux in the third division, um, who played well, to be fair, oh, yeah. who came back from 1-0 down to go 1-1. The, uh, uh -huh. the current president of Chateauroux, Michel Denisot, is a big figure in, in, in France, in French television, in French sports, French football especially, used to be the PSG president as well in the, in the 90s, in the, in the good years. Um, so it was a very emotional game for him. It was good because we saw Zaire Emery, as we mentioned, but also Ismail Garbi, uh, who's another very talented youngster who's 18, who uh, plays for Spain under 18. Uh, Alvaro, although he's got Ooh. the two nationalities, has also played for the, for the front youth teams. He will choose at some point between one Where was he countries. born, Jules? Paris born and bred, of course, and that's why he's also so good. Uh, he gave the assist on the, uh, the first goal, the Ekitike goal. And it was, it was good from PSG, even if 
when when Chateau came back to one one, you know, there was like they all oh okay. Uh, and and Soler and Sarabia were not very good in that game, but overall it was in the end a good win, especially for the youngsters. Jules, why did you say that he was president of PSG in the nineties in the good years? Do you do you miss those times? The the simpler times. Yeah, maybe in a way. I mean, it's also the, the years where I was going a lot to the stadium. Ah, so obviously you've right. got a, a much more a bigger attachment than when you work on the team like we do now. But I mean, that era, the George Weah era and the you know, David Ginola era was pretty special. And he was the president at the time. And Michel Denisot is, has been on our television for so many years that you kind of grew up with him as well. And so, they, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stories and he's a very nice guy too. Excellent. Look forward to hearing more about the Coupe de France. What It's the... What, round the magic de la coupe. <laughs> magic de la coupe, exactement. Oui. exactement. Maybe some Pacific Island teams next time. Uh, but uh, good. Anything else we should know about uh, about Ligue 1 or French football in general? Yeah, just four? two more sackings. And we said before that Ooh. very unusual amount of managers sacked already more than in Italy, for example, which is, again, unusual. But yeah, Julien Stéphane, who, um, who Strasbourg side is second from bottom, hadn't win at home uh, so far in nine games in the league, uh, was sacked by Strasbourg. And Lucien Favre, which we've ah, mentioned before at Nice, yeah. they were knocked out by a third division team, Le Puy. They're shocking, they're 11th in the table, and I think Sir Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos had enough. And they, they got rid of him. And he's one of his assistants, Didier Digard, Paris born and bred, of course, former PhD player, one of my boys who then played in, uh, in England at Middlesbrough. Um, he's now the, uh, the head coach until the end of the season. And I'm very happy for him because I think he's a very, very talented coach, young coach. Excellent. And following up on another talented young coach, as we mentioned in last week's show, Scott Parker made his debut with Club yeah. Bruges. Not that he went well. Well, they took the lead at Genk. Uh, but uh, Genk went on to win 3-1. That was on Sunday lunchtime. Still, early days. Early days. All right. I feel like that might have brought us to the end of this week's roundup of the Continental Game. Of course, no Germany yet. They're back in two weekends' time in the Bundesliga. Rafa hopefully will be with us next week. Anything else you wanted to throw in, James Alvaro, Jules? Of, of course, Jimbo. Uh, one more debut. Not only Scott Parker, but Lucas Perez as well. Ah, a Deportivo. Playing in Spain. Yes, a Deportivo. Yeah. He played against Unionistas. Uh, I don't know if he was almost late uh, for the game, but uh, it looked like that because he was getting a lot of uh, nice harassment uh, before getting into the ground by fans who wanted an autograph, a picture with him, to the point that Lucas Perez, there is a video saying, guys, I got to leave because I got to play. I got to play. I must play a football game. He left. Uh, he went into the ground and he scored two goals. So Deportivo won. So it was a dream debut for Lucas Perez. Very, very nice. Avro, many thanks. Look forward to hearing more next week on the Totally Football Show. We're back on Thursday, uh, rounding up League Cup quarterfinals, that kind of thing, and looking forward to an exciting Premier League weekend. So perhaps you'll join us for that, listener. In the meantime, it's many thanks to James, Jules, Avro, producer Charlie, and you, listener. We'll see you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. 